Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. So when Paul talks about, and get this, when Paul talks about having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, here's what he's talking about. The right spiritual boots for a Christian is a Christian's ability and willingness to share the good news of Christ with other people. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor Dr. Robert Jeffress. No soldier in his right mind would go into battle without shoes. And most people wouldn't even go outside with at least something on their feet. Yet, in a spiritual sense, many Christians are walking around completely barefoot. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explains why sole shoes are an essential piece of spiritual armor. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Today's culture has turned Satan into a laughingstock. At Halloween, he's portrayed as some silly red creature with horns. And on television, he's a tiny devil whispering tempting thoughts into one person's ear, while an angel whispers good thoughts into the other ear. But in reality, Satan is a formidable opponent who's working overtime to ruin our lives. And Christians who ignore him will find themselves the next casualty in a great spiritual war. That's why we're devoting this entire month of August to the topic of spiritual warfare with a series I've called The Divine Defense. I've also written a book by that same title. And when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'd be happy to send you a copy. The content of my book comes from Ephesians chapter 6, in which the Apostle Paul outlines a practical plan for resisting Satan's spiritual attacks. In addition to the book, I've also prepared a helpful brochure called Equipped for Battle, which outlines seven quick tips for spiritual success. You can keep this in your desk at work or tucked into the back of your Bible to remind you of the power God has given you to overcome any spiritual obstacle Satan puts in your path. The Equipped for Battle brochure is my gift to you simply for contacting us today at ptv.org. I'll say more about these resources later, but right now it's time to get started with today's study. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, for a message I titled, Putting on Your Soul's Souls. Herb Kelleher, the founder of Southwest Airlines, was once asked in an interview about his secret for building such a successful airline. This is what he said to the interviewer. He said, I can teach you the secret to running this airline in 30 seconds. This is it. Southwest is the low-fare airline, not a low-fare airline. We are the low-fare airline. And once you understand that fact, you can make any decision about this company's future as well as I can. Kelleher went on to elaborate. Here's an example. Let's say Tracy from the marketing department comes into your office She says her surveys indicate that the passengers might enjoy a light entree on the Houston to Las Vegas flight. All we offer is peanuts, and she thinks a nice chicken salad uh, would be popular. So what do you say to Tracy? The interviewer hesitated, so Kelleher answered his own question. He said, you say, Tracy, will adding a chicken Caesar salad make us the low-fare airline from Houston to Las Vegas? Because if it doesn't help us become the low-fare airline... 
We're not serving any blankety-blank chicken salad. (laughs) You know, understanding your purpose is key to success in the business world. But understanding your unique purpose is also key to success in the spiritual world. A clearly defined purpose is like a beacon in the darkness that provides us direction when we confront choices. But as we're going to discover this morning, understanding your purpose is also a powerful way to defeat Satan's plan to destroy your life. Do you desire to win the spirit wars? Do you really want to be a victor rather than a victim in Satan's attack against your life? If so, it is important to understand the foundational truth we're going to discover this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're looking at the six pieces of armor, the six strategies to defeat Satan in his relentless attack against every one of us. Already we've talked about the, the, the belt of truth. And remember that strategy is simply recognize destructive thoughts and replace them with God's thoughts. And then we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. And that that strategy is simply this. Do what you know you should do. Obedience. And today as we come to verse 15, we're looking at the third piece of spiritual armor, the third strategy to win the spirit wars. Look at verses 14 and 15. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What Paul is talking about is putting on the right shoes, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, I discovered the hard ways. I looked at the commentaries this week that very few commentators even comment on this verse. It's amazing. They just skip over verse 15 altogether. And the few that do comment about it, they say, well, what he's talking about is uh, your salvation. He talks about uh, uh, having your feet shod with the gospel. And so he's talking about making sure you're saved. That's what gives you stability in life. I don't think that's correct. Because later on, he's going to talk about the helmet of salvation. Now, he has something different in mind here. And I think to understand what Paul is really talking about here, we have to understand that this verse is a free paraphrase of Isaiah 52, verse 7. Uh, The prophet said, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Notice the reference to feet. The feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation... And says to Zion, your God reigns. Paul is linking uh, feet with the announcement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may say, now where do you get that? Well, notice he says, how lovely are the mountains on the mountains are the feet of him who brings the good news. Isaiah says how welcome it is to see someone who is bringing the good news of salvation. That is a salvation that Christ would provide 700 years after Isaiah wrote these words. But if you still think that's a stretch to link feet and walking with the gospel of Jesus Christ, consider Paul's words in Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. You know these words by heart. How then will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? 
And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, and here's a quotation of that Isaiah passage, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. God wants the message of Jesus Christ to be spread throughout the world. How is that going to happen? Well, people don't get saved unless they hear the gospel. And people will not hear the gospel unless there are preachers who move their feet across the world to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we have to understand what Paul means. How would they hear without a preacher? You know, today the word preacher sometimes is used in a pejorative way. The word preach is thought as a negative word. Like when my daughters say, Dad, quit preaching to me, okay? We don't kind of like the word preach. And when we read the word preachers, we think, okay, God's plan for evangelism is to hire a bunch of paid professionals. How will they hear without a preacher? So we'll get these paid professionals who speak in a stained glass voice and speak in front of wooden pulpits, and we will hire them to do the work of the ministry. That is not what God's plan is to spread his gospel message. The word preach simply means to proclaim, okay? Write that down. It simply means to proclaim. A preacher is anyone who proclaims the message of Jesus Christ. He's not talking about paid professionals here. He's talking about anyone who takes the message of Christ throughout the world. And that's God's plan for evangelism. So when Paul talks about, and get this, when Paul talks about having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, here's what he's talking about. The right spiritual boots for a Christian is a Christian's ability and willingness to share the good news of Christ with other people. Now, you may ask the question, well, what is the relationship between our willingness and ability to share the gospel and spiritual warfare? That seems kind of a stretch, Pastor. How do you connect sharing the gospel with other people and standing strong in Satan's attack against your life? I want to answer that question by making three simple statements this morning. First of all, God has created you for a great purpose. God has created you for a great purpose. You're no accident. He created you for a unique purpose. What is that purpose? We have to differentiate between God's eternal purpose and God's immediate purpose for your life. You know, God's eternal purpose for you is clear in the Bible. God created you to have fellowship with Him. One of God's eternal purposes for your life is that you be fashioned into the image of Christ. Romans 8, 29 says, For whom God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. God wants you to be just like His perfect Son, Jesus Christ. Those are God's eternal purposes. Fellowship with Him. To become like His Son, Jesus Christ. Now here's a $64,000 question. Why didn't God just immediately take you to heaven the moment you were saved so that those purposes could be immediately fulfilled? I mean, think about it. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 3, uh, when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The Bible says that the rapture, when we meet Christ, we're going to be immediately transformed to be like Jesus. Not only that, Revelation 22, verse 3 says, when we're in heaven, we're going to have 
perfect fellowship with God. Revelation 22.3 says there will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And His bondservants will serve Him. You see, in heaven, the curse of sin will be removed. All of those things that hinder your relationship with God, that create that barrier, those things will be removed. So think about it. If God's eternal purpose for us will be uh, accomplished when we're with Him, why is God leaving us here on earth? Why is God delaying having perfect fellowship with us? Why is he postponing his plan to conform us to the perfect image of his son? Why is he willing to delay by leaving us here on earth? That's the real question. What is our purpose here on earth? And that leads to a second important statement. Your purpose is to fulfill God's purpose. Your purpose is to fulfill God's purpose. I see a lot of Christians walking around in the fog wondering, gee, I wonder what God's will for my life is. Oh, Lord, please reveal your will for my life. Erwin Erwin McManus says it correctly when he says, instead of praying, God, what is your will for my life? What we ought to pray is, God, what is your will? And how can I give my life to fulfill it? That's the real issue. What is God trying to do here on earth? Do you want to know what God's will is? What is it he's trying to accomplish? Here's a hint. Jot down these verses. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God desires that all be saved, not just a select few, that all be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9, for God is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will is, his desire is that not any one perish without the gospel. Or Luke chapter 19, verse 10, this is what Jesus said about his reason for coming. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. God's purpose in the world is as clear as it can possibly be. God wants to deliver as many people as possible from the pit of Satan's kingdom, free them, liberate them to experience the light of God's kingdom through Jesus Christ. We are on a seek and save mission. That's why Jesus Christ came. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. And God invites you and me to join with him in that mission. That's why we're here. That's the reason God left us here, to join with him in that mission of rescuing as many people as possible from the kingdom of darkness and introducing them to the light of Christ's gospel. Does God need us to do his work for him? No, he doesn't need us. But his divine plan utilizes us in that effort. God always has been that way. God has always chosen to partner with us in accomplishing his purpose. You know, God said to Adam, Adam, I've I've created this perfect garden, but it's your job to cultivate it and keep it. God said to Noah, now Noah, I'm going to send a flood in the world, and I'm going to save you and a few others, but you're the one who has to build the ark. And God says to us, I've sent my son to be the savior of the world, but it's your job to go and share that news with other people. It's not that God needs us, but he has given us the incredible privilege of joining with him in accomplishing his purpose. 
And so that no one of us would miss what our unique purpose in life is. Remember his final words to his disciples before Jesus ascended into heaven? He gave the mission statement one more time in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. He said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. You know, throughout the Bible, there's one image that is used over and over again to describe a Christian's existence here on earth. We're described as soldiers for Jesus Christ. Remember the old hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers. I've got a great accordion arrangement of that I'm going to do sometime for you. But anyway, uh, you know, that is the image of what we are. We are soldiers. Now listen to 2 Timothy 2 verse 4. Paul says, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he might please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. In Paul's day, the primary role of the soldier was to expand the emperor's kingdom. The Roman soldier existed to spread the Roman Empire throughout the world. Today, the soldier exists for one purpose. Now get this, the soldier's job is not to sit around and formulate the mission. He doesn't sit around and say, you know, I think this would be a good thing to do. Or I think this might be a worthy project to get involved in. His job is not to formulate the mission, but to fulfill the mission given to him by his commander-in-chief. God has said the same thing to you and to me. He said, there is a reason I haven't taken you home to be with me right now. I have left you in that foreign outpost called planet Earth. To fulfill one mission. And your mission assignment, ladies and gentlemen, is not to build a successful career. The mission assignment is not to see how much money you can accumulate in a bank account or stock portfolio. The mission is not even to have a successful and fulfilling family life. That's not the mission. The mission is go and rescue as many people as possible from the kingdom of darkness and introduce them to faith in Jesus Christ. That is the mission for which we have been left here. No other mission counts. That leads to a third statement to make today. That is fulfilling your mission, fulfilling your purpose is the key to fulfillment in life. Psychologist Carl Jung wrote, more than a century ago in his book, Modern Man in Search of a Soul. About a third of my cases, the psychologist said, are suffering from no clinically definable neurosis, but from the senselessness and emptiness of their lives. This can be described as the general neurosis of our time. Now, Young wrote those words a hundred years ago. But he said, the general neurosis afflicting a third of my patients can't be defined other than senselessness and emptiness. That was true 100 years ago. It's even more true today. People are walking around trying to fill the void of their empty lives with anything they can find. Some people think work is the way to fill the emptiness in their lives. Work doesn't do it. If you don't believe that, consider these statistics. One-third of Americans say, I hate my job. Even though they spend 60% of their waking hours on the job, one-third of Americans say, I hate my job. Two-thirds of workers say that they have chosen the wrong career. Most suicides occur on 
Sunday nights, most heart attacks occur on Monday morning. Work will not fill the void of an empty life. Other people believe, well, uh, if I can just accumulate enough money, or if I can have enough pleasure, or if I can gain fame, maybe those things will fill the emptiness in my heart. There was a man who lived thousands of years ago. His name was Solomon, wealthiest man of his day. Pleasure, hundreds of wives and concubines, achievements everywhere. What was his summary of his life? Listen to what he wrote in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 10 to 11. He said, all that my eyes desired, I didn't refuse them. I didn't withhold from my heart any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all of my labor, and this was my reward for all of my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity." All was worthless, a striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Why is it we're always searching after some new pleasure, some new accomplishment, some new achievement, only to be profoundly disappointed? Here's the answer. Eternal beings can only be satisfied by that which is eternal. Eternal beings can only be satisfied by that which is eternal. You know, you cannot fill a great ocean with a single bucket of water, can you? Take something more to fill up an ocean. And the same is true with our heart. The Bible says God has placed eternity in our hearts. That's true for non-Christians just like it is Christians. Everybody, the moment they are born, they have a sense of the eternal inside of them. They know there is something beyond this life because every person has a spirit inside of them. God has placed an ocean of eternity in our hearts. And how do we try to fill it? Bucket at a time, a bucket of money, a bucket of pleasure, a bucket of accomplishment, and we wonder why we're not getting anywhere. Now, because we are eternal spirits, we need something that will transcend this life to give us true joy in life. We need an eternal companion, one who will be with us beyond this world. We also need an eternal purpose to which to give our lives. And what could be more eternal than joining with God in fulfilling His purpose, not our purpose, His purpose in the world today. And Monday, we'll discover exactly how living out our God-given purpose can protect us from Satan's attack. I'm so glad you chose to join us for this important edition of Pathway to Victory. And as your radio pastor, I can't emphasize how important it is to have a defense plan in action for when Satan comes knocking at your door. I mentioned earlier we're offering this month my best-selling book, The Divine Defense. It's a great complement to this series, and it's yours for your generous gift to Pathway to Victory. I can't thank you enough for your support of this ministry. Your gifts are truly changing lives. I was encouraged to hear from a listener named Brent. He wrote, Pastor, I never understood that repentance was the key for my salvation. But after repenting and asking God to save me and to come into my life, an amazing thing happened. A new birth took place in my heart. I believe that it is the biggest miracle God ever performs, the rebirth of a person's heart. What a difference this has made in my life. 
Thank you, and may God bless Pathway to Victory. Stories like this are the reason Pathway to Victory exists. So thanks for becoming a financial partner with us. God is using your gifts to pierce the darkness with the light of His Word. Let me say as we close this week together, I want you to think about joining me for our Bible Prophecy Tour to Israel next April 25th through May 5th. We are going to visit some of the key sites in the Bible related to Jesus' return to earth, the plain of Megiddo, where the Battle of Armageddon will be fought. We'll stand on the Mount of Olives, where Jesus is returning one day, and we'll have communion in front of the empty tomb. Now, there's an early bird discount for everyone who registers before September 30th. So to find out all the details, to look at the itinerary, and most importantly, to reserve your spot, go to PTV. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you support the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, we'll say thanks by sending you the companion book to this month's series called The Divine Defense. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965 or give online. That's at ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, you'll also receive the complete Divine Defense CD and DVD teaching set. To request the Divine Defense on CD and DVD, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. You're always welcome to contact us by mail. Just write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again next time for a message on fulfilling your God-given purpose. Our series, The Divine Defense, continues Monday here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.